Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to another Michigan Man Extra. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Before we get started, a reminder to rate or comment on the show wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any suggestions for us or would like to share some of your thoughts, just email me at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. Earlier this week, we had our regular game day show with Austin Meek from the Athletic Detroit and the Visitors Edition with Wisconsin Radio play by play voice Matt LePay. Now, during the week, I was working on the show and was able to get a lot of good information on the Badgers from BadgersBlitz.com. So I got in touch with the guys and said, you know, let's get together and talk some more Wisconsin-Michigan football and put up an extra. And they said, let's do it. Now, this is a big game for both teams. That's why we enjoyed talking about it. And I know it's sort of an overload week having three shows. But again, this is a huge test for both teams very early in the season. And the direction of both of our seasons could turn on the outcome of this game. Now, that might be overstating it, but it is a huge psychological game. Joining me next is Jake Kokorowski from BadgersBlitz.com here on the Michigan Man Extra in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maze and Brew. on our visitors edition. Well, actually, it's our extra edition for September, I should say, because this is such a big game this week up in Madison. 
Uh, as most of you know, we had Badger Radio play-by-play voice Matt LaPay on earlier this week, and I thought, hey, let's talk to some more uh, folks up there in Madison and, and talk about their Badgers. Jake Kokorowski from BadgersBlitz.com, which is a great site. Great to have you with us, Jake. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I'm looking forward to it. And meeting Matt was a blast. Uh, I've always loved talking to Matt. I'm sure he had some, some great stuff for you uh, earlier. He is a good guy, and it was great to hear uh, from him. It's I always enjoy uh, each week in the show we have uh, a visitor's perspective, whether it's their beat writer or their radio guy. And our fans actually love to hear what the opposition thinks of playing Michigan and, of course, about their own team. But this game is so big this week. I guess the thing that really still uh, no one has answered for me is that it's a uh, an early kickoff. I know Fox is really emphasizing these 12 noon games now, 11 a.m. up there in Madison. I think fans like it. I, I have to tell you I'm an older guy, so I do like the uh, the earlier kickoffs. You get home sooner. But are you surprised that it was not somehow pushed back to a later kick time? A little bit, and considering Wisconsin's home schedule you know i mean they just announced northwestern wisconsin for another 11 a.m kickoff but not for fox but for abc and that's the week after the uh, the wisconsin michigan game Uh, it really i think fox obviously i'm not obviously 100 percent sure i'm not an insider with with how that network works but just guessing from what we've seen last year yeah fox is trying to get that foothold on early games and try to get ratings. I'm taking it that they just want ratings. And what better way than to see a number, you know, 13 Wisconsin team home, you know, host number 11 Michigan, and uh, you know, in the conference's biggest matchup of the week. And so I'm guessing that's that's why. So I think that's where they want to go. I, it's also I would say you always want the Camp Randall if you're from a Wisconsin fan or or whatnot, or you, you want to play underneath the lights of Camp Randall Stadium. I've oh, yeah. got a chance to cover a couple of games in, you know, what back in the 2016 season, it was Ohio State, and then Nebraska, and the atmosphere is special. They, there is a energy there, you feel it, that, you know, the fans, the students are preparing, I mean, that's a euphemism, uh, preparing <laughs> for the game uh, and whatnot, and underneath the lights of it, there is a different aura. And I think Ohio State definitely experienced that in 2010. But, you know, to me, I mean, I know with, you know, you mentioned you like the 11 a.m. or noon kickoffs for you guys. Uh, when it comes to beat writers, hey, I get to see my kids at night, so I'm kind of happy about that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it is it is a special atmosphere when you have, even if it's a 2.30 kickoff uh, or you know, a 6 or 7 p.m. kickoff, there's, I think, there's a little more of an atmosphere. There's a there's I guess a, there's an aura to it, but I would guess it's just going back to it. I think it's just what Fox wants to do in terms of trying to get more ratings, and, and this will be a good top fifteen showdown. Yeah, I think that's uh, what it's about too. And I guess their ratings for the first couple of weeks with noon kickoffs have been very good. All I know is you watch the promos; they are really pumping it. But talking about that crowd up in Madison, I know I've had a couple of my listeners I've talked to this week, and they said, hey. Maybe we caught a break with an early kickoff. It's not quite like the the 2.30, 3.30 p.m. kickoffs or the night games. And You know, I always tell them, don't buy into that because I go back to the 60s and the 70s when no one in the Big Ten played. Rarely did you play a 3.30 kickoff. There might have been one of those a week on national TV. So everyone kicked at 1 p.m. Uh, in the Big Ten and in the Midwest. And you know what? 
The crowds in Madison were crazy at 1 p.m., so it really doesn't matter. It's uh, The crowd's going to be jacked up for this one anyway, aren't they? Yeah, it, it mean, uh, we always there's always a, a joke about the student section and when they'll show up and, and whatnot there. It's kind of a, for the older fans, it's kind of an ongoing issue for those that are adult, you know, adults compared to the the students that may show up a little bit later. Sometimes you'll see that on that, you know, on TV where the Badgers are coming out and you see two-thirds of the stadium, or two-thirds of the student section, I should say, filled. They're still working on it, or even sometimes not filled, depending upon the op- opponent. So I think, you know, so that that's one that's that's one little facet of the student of the uh, fan base there. But really, you know, people are tailgating early. I'll get down to the stadium probably about eight thirty nine ish, and people are already tailgating. They'll be out there earlier. I used to live when I, right after I graduated from UW. I used to live about a block or two away from Camp Randall Stadium, and you know, we allowed some farmers to tailgate you know, throughout the season and they pay us some parking and give us some free stakes, which we love being poor, just new to the workforce, uh, you know, young adults. And, but they're there, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know, tailgating, getting ready. And so there is an atmosphere there with, even though it's not a later kickoff, it's got, you know, 80,000 people descend upon Camp Randall and you know, downtown is bustling. There's, stuff to do for families of course you have your private tailgates in the various spots and so you know it is a special atmosphere and you know it's depending upon you know the, even coming up to uw just announced I think it was a day or so ago and i just got an email later uh, this afternoon regarding they're doing like a stripe type event where certain sections are wearing red and then the next section over wear white so they're trying to do like a it's called a stripe out or whatnot, but they're trying to get fans to do red and white stripes throughout the stadium. I think the student section is supposed to be all white, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, too. So really, it's uh, you know they're trying to amp it up, and uh, it could be a real special atmosphere, even for an early kickoff on Saturday. No, I think it will be. It's always fun there, and I sh- I'm sure it will be uh, very festive uh, come uh, 11 a.m. Central Time this Saturday. Let's, uh, Jake, talk about these Badgers and get your take. As I mentioned, I had Matt LaPay on early. He was uh, earlier this week. He was a little uh, conservative in his thoughts. But, I mean, the Badgers absolutely drilled South Florida and Central Michigan in those first two games. I think they outscored them 110 to nothing. Yeah, they're not great teams, but I don't care. You shut two teams out in Division One, and you put 110 points up on the board. The fans have to be really pleased with that. Really, it was a, I mean, from, you know, our subscriber forums, they were really impressed. And you see, uh, it kind of goes back to last year. I think that's why expectations are heightened even after a bye week and even with the lesser group of five competition, which, I mean, let's be honest, too, during the season, we've seen Nevada upset Purdue and mm-hmm. we've seen other you know Power Five teams struggle. Hey, granted, it's Boise State, but Boise State beat Florida State in Tallahassee after they moved the game from Jacksonville to FSU Stadium because of Hurricane Dorian. So uh, you know, among other examples, you know, Hawaii beat Arizona uh, at Hawaii, and so. But just the way that Wisconsin dominated is what I think the storyline is, and what why the expectations are still high. Last season, Wisconsin started two and zero during the 2018 campaign, but, you know, I've said this a couple of times on a couple other, uh, you know, uh, radio hits or podcasts where 
last year's team, those wins were not dominant or overwhelming. They were very, I guess you could call them comfortable. And so you didn't, you know, you saw, oh, the offense would look good or the defense came up with a big play, but you didn't get a sense of this dominant. This mm-hmm. this season just feels different where you go on the road at South Florida, you withstand a weather delay. Jonathan Taylor emerges with a new skill set, uh, an emerging, evolving skill set in the pass game in terms of receiving the ball and, and scoring two touchdowns there. Uh, there's a, you know, it's a 49 nothing win, and then you come home the next week and, you know, a passing game comes alive further with the on the jack cone. And despite Central Michigan, you know, having a, a decent win against an FCS opponent the week prior, they get blown out 61 nothing. And so, I think you know it's the expectations are higher just because of how this you know the team yeah. has performed and they haven't taken the foot off the pedal compared to maybe what you saw last season. Well, let's talk for a minute about a minute about Jack Cohn. You mentioned Jack. I know uh, when I was getting ready for the season, you know the preseason mags and everything all came out in late spring, early summer, and when I would read about Wisconsin, it was not just uh, writers from up in Madison or other writers in the Big Ten, but it's the national take on Jack Cohn seemed to be if he was going to be the starter, he was more of the game manager type of a quarterback. But, you know, I've only gotten to see him in bits and pieces uh, so far in those first two games. Not only does he look much better than a game manager quarterback, he looks good downfield throwing the ball, too. And that's been the biggest revelation. And again, it's just through two games, so we try to temper expectations with yeah, even with Badger Blitz, you know, with, with us, we're obviously objective, but it's one thing where you realize that the defense is made, you know, the talent may not be up to par with what Wisconsin has or what Wisconsin will see against Michigan, obviously, with, with the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh recruiting like they do year in and year out. But the way that Cone has performed, he was a surprise of fall camp, and you saw a change. It wasn't easy. Spring ball, I would say, for most of it until the last week to maybe last three or four practices, you know, he was par for the course. But then that last week of fall camp, or spring ball, I'm sorry, spring camp, he, he turned it on in April. And he had, like, his last spring practice, he threw, you know, at least three touchdowns, made some deep throws that were completed to A.J. Taylor. And in the all kind of turned ahead, like, okay, that's just, that's just one practice really but he you know even that friday before he started hitting some deeper passes so maybe he's starting to get a little bit of momentum heading into fall camp he he you know most of the first team reps were you know were you know were under center by cone and then he displayed an accuracy into his throws both short and deep his decision making was was sound but the ability and what you didn't see last year that you saw against definitely against Central Michigan, was the ability to stretch the ball downfield, keep defenses honest. The two touchdown passes to Quintez Cephas, one on each part of the sideline. Uh, the first one was a 36-yarder so, uh, you know, on the left side, and then the next series for Wisconsin thereafter, he hit Cephas in stride, and, and you know Cephas made a great adjustment to catch it over the shoulder and go in 46 yards for yet another touchdown. So you're seeing from Cohen, there's a leadership component on and off the field with him that's, that he's grown compared to last year. But you're seeing also the on-the-field development where there's still some things for him to clean up. But 
he just looks so much crisper than what you know he did as a as a sophomore, where he only you know he played five games, started four, but you never knew if he was going to be the starter or not. With Alex Hornibrook was going through in having the, the the symptoms related to the head injury that he uh, the head injury that he suffered. So uh, you're seeing a completely different Jack Cohen. A lot of people talked about Graham Mertz and whatnot, you know, the four-star signee, one of the most heralded prep recruit uh, that was signed by Wisconsin to play quarterback. And Mertz looked good during the second week of fall camp practices that were open to the media. But talk about consistency, you know, it was more like Mertz and, and Chase Wolf, a registered freshman, competing for the backup spot. That's how far ahead Cohn was in fall camp, and that's translated over in the first two games of the season. And Cohn is completing uh, his passes at 72% clip right now. Uh, check me on this, but one of the stats I read that sort of surprised me uh, was that he has already completed more passes of 15 yards or more in two games than all of last season. Yeah, and that's and, uh, yeah, and that's a big part of it. I believe it was during the Central Michigan game. He had nine of the ten chop uh, plays through the air of, of uh, you know, uh, I think it was like 10 or 15 yards or more, and that is you know, really impressive just to see what he did on that level. Uh, and, and you see him stretching the ball, and he's throwing, like I said, he's throwing with accuracy last year. And a lot of people, not to knock on Alex Hornibrook, but the ability to complete a deep out was, at times was a challenge where he was in the press box. And you see, you're like, is that going to get it there in time? Is it going to get to the sideline right? Is it going to get to the receiver right? Or is it going to go inside too far? The cornerback's going to make a play to, to, you know, make a pick six. Um, now, you know, like Conus has that ability to extend that, you know, extend the defense and keep them honest more, which should help the, the running game. They didn't really need the running game against Central Michigan uh, because the, the Chippewas sold out essentially against it. You know, basically, Cone just, they basically made Jack Cone make them beat him, and, and he did. And, that, and I think that's something that Michigan will, you know, obviously now see on tape. and They'll have ways to work to neutralize him, but uh, the way that he's been able just to stretch the field has been impressive early on. And I mean, that's going to be this is a big litmus test now. Okay, you can do it against South Florida, you can do it against Central Michigan, but can Cone and and the receiving targets, for that matter, Cephas, AJ Taylor, Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis, but also a, you know, likely at all conference tight end and Jake Ferguson, can they make you know can, you know can they help out the run game and can they also, you know, create separation enough to, to make plays against Michigan. And this is going to be the big test to, to really show whether or not this offense truly is off, is balanced or if, you know, that, you know, first two games were just due to, to poor uh, non-conference opponents. Well, Jake, what about his wheels? You know, with the kind of defense Michigan uh, plays, Don Brown just likes to bring it and come after quarterbacks. And, and when we have been hurt in recent years, despite quarterbacks who can just get out and make you pay um, for coming after them, is, is Jack fairly mobile? He's fairly mobile. He's more mobile than Alex Hornibrook, which um, for, you know, Hornibrook was, I won't say a statue in the pocket. He could move <laughs> around in the pocket. Yeah. But so I'm not going to, uh, you know, say that about Alex, but Cone can move a little bit. He scored a rushing touchdown against Miami in the 2018 pinstripe bowl on a, a rollout, uh, on a basically a naked bootleg. So he can do that for your offense. He has, if I'm not mistaken, has here and there run the ball. So he can keep you a little honest. He's not a, obviously a true dual threat quarterback. Wisconsin doesn't necessarily recruit those. Uh, 
I think Chase Wolf would be, who's the redshirt freshman I mentioned earlier. Uh, he's a cool backup with Graham Mertz. He's more of the dual threat type quarterback where I was impressed by his mobility and not just that, but his arm strength. And so you have a, if he, if he can improve his decision making, you know, the 2020 quarterback battle between Wolf, Mertz, and Cone will be fascinating. And, you know, in my eyes, popcorn watching, you know, worthy of what you know bringing popcorn to practice and, and watch how those three quarterbacks could compete uh and it's a tight room for that matter too so it's a very much a friendly competition uh for that matter as a, as a side note but i will say too that i mean it he Cone can make some plays with the seat it's not his strong suit but you know he can work a little in space uh to, to extend some plays but um he is a better pocket passer for sure well, I think any team in the country would like to have Jonathan Taylor uh, in the backfield. I've never seen anyone stop him. He gets slowed down a bit. But this year, what really worries me about him, as it looks to me, at least through the first two games, is he's being more incorporated into the passing game, isn't he? He is. And, you know, the way that he, I have the stats right here in front of me, he has he's caught already five passes for 65 yards and three of them have gone for touchdowns. And one of those includes a long of 36 and against central Michigan a couple of weeks ago, he had a 17 yarder where on 15 of those 17 yards, uh, you know, he, he did all the work where he got two yard pass. And uh, that's what makes Jonathan Taylor special is that once the ball is in his hands in open space, not many people can bring him down or force him out of bounds. So that's, you know, it should be interesting to see, just how Michigan tries to stop Taylor in the offensive line. I think despite gaining about 216 and a half yards per game on the ground, you know, Wisconsin's still replacing those four starters on the offensive line, the regular starters from the offensive line, but they do return back Tyler Giotish. And Cole Van Lanning got so many snaps at left tackle from John Dietzen last year that I call him a starter. So really it's more like they're, they're replacing three regular starters mm-hmm. uh, on the line. So I think there's still some gelling on the line that could improve, and they'll have to against Michigan, and you know, that way Wisconsin's not one-dimensional through the air. But the way that you know, whenever you have Jonathan Taylor in your backfield, you know defenses are going to hone in to stop him first and foremost because that's how Wisconsin's bread and butter always is, where um, since Barry Alvarez came, who's now you know obviously the former head coach of Wisconsin, now the athletic director, here in Madison at UW, he, he you know, they, they instituted a, a run first kind of physical, obviously physical offensive line and ground and pound and wear you down, Ron Dane, from Ron Dane to Melvin Gordon and, and whatnot. And now you, know, you see Jonathan Taylor. And with that, though, you know, like you mentioned, if they can stop him through the, on the ground, well, now they have to work through the air and can they contain him in the passing game and I know Michigan has some fantastic players on defense that could stop him with their athleticism and, and playmaking ability too but uh, you know Jonathan Taylor's worked on this ever since even during the 2018 season in spring ball then like two Aprils ago where he was trying he was working with Paul Christ and Jim Leonard the defensive coordinator on, on routes and you know last year didn't pan out that much he had eight receptions for 60 yards and now you're seeing him you know, it's evolved even further uh, going back to bowl prep in the spring ball this past year. And really in fall camp, we saw things where it, all that work led up to what you're seeing on the field now in, in game time. And 
he, in my opinion, he should have been a Heisman finalist, just how he's run the ball. But now adding that passing repertoire, not saying he is Saquon Barkley by any stretch, but now that he's added it like Barkley did when he was at Penn State, there, in my mind, if he continues racking up, you know, 100-yard games through the air and get four to five receptions, three to four to three to five receptions a game with a possible touchdown, there's no reason why he shouldn't be in New York as a Heisman finalist uh, coming December. No, absolutely. I know uh, one of Michigan's beat writers, Austin Meek from the uh, the Athletic Detroit, I had him on this week, and this was the first week, I think he said it was the first week uh, they started doing it, the Athletic, the, their top ten in the Heisman race, and he told me that he had Jonathan Taylor as, uh, as number one on, on his top ten. I don't think there's any argument he's the best running back in college football, so we'll see how many uh, quarterbacks have great years, though. But, you know, from a Badger perspective, again, you know, I go back a long way watching Wisconsin running backs. Ron Dane's probably, I think, in my opinion, uh, the best running back in recent history come out of the University of Wisconsin. But after it's all said and done with Jonathan Taylor, there is a very good chance he could be the greatest running back to, uh, to ever play in Madison. Would you agree with that? I would. I think it's due to the the dual threat. If you're talking about, I know we talk about quarterbacks with their dual threat nature, running the ball or throwing it. I think with Taylor's dual threat ability, emerging, running the ball and being a punishing it, I I feel almost, I've been able to cover Melvin Gordon and, you know, as a kid, I watched Ron Dane in the state. So I don't know if I, I don't think I necessarily take it for granted, but Wisconsin's running backs, you know, are. Notorious, say notorious, or just very, very well known for just what they do on the ground. But if Taylor continues with that passing game, uh, you know, the, just what he's done there, I, I think he could etch a name. He's definitely top three in my book right now. Which uh, it's you know, there's such a long line of backs. Even a guy like James White, who plays for the New England Patriots, to me was such an unheralded back, and I'd say underappreciated, but. He racked up 1,000-yard seasons and made plays in the past game. And now look at him, what he's doing with the New England Patriots and, and winning Super Bowls. And I think he had, I'm not mistaken, over 70 catches last season uh, for the Super Bowl champs. Uh, but going back to Taylor, if he can add that skill set and be consistent with it, I think yeah, if he still he has maybe 1,500 to 1,800 yards along with, you know, I'd say 20 to 25 receptions, I think that edges in the top two. It's going to be hard to supplant Dane. And, and gosh, it's hard even with Gordon. Just how the heat, you know, that 2,500-yard-plus season he had in 2014, yeah. I, you know. Um, but, you know, I think he does have an ability. He could etch his name as the best back in Wisconsin history um, if he continues what he's been doing so far this season. Well, on that offense, sticking with uh, with talking about the offense, Jake, I know in the in the preseason uh, there was a lot written about four new offensive uh, line starters, which to me doesn't mean a lot because uh, most of the guys on that offensive line got to play last year, and it's uh, it's an assembly line. There's always a lot of depth on that offensive line, so yes, there are four new starters there, but the offensive line has looked pretty darn good so far, hasn't it? It has, but I still think there's still a lot of room to grow. And it really, you know, I mentioned the 216 yards on the ground per game, the yeah. first two contests. Wisconsin, you know, Jack Holmes averaging 282 yards to the air. And Wisconsin threw for 400 yards exactly against Central Michigan. And, and the, you know, the line improved greatly from 
what you saw against South Florida was the Bulls backed up three sacks and 11 tackles for loss, and, and I think they had three more quarterback hurries too. So there was improvement there. I think, I don't know if it was Central Michigan, in my opinion, they sold out against the run. You didn't see as many gaping holes as open as what you saw in the season opener with Wisconsin and South Florida where you know, Jonathan Taylor had two 30-yard runs for t- plus for touchdowns. So uh, I do think you know the line can continue to improve, but I'm very much in the same belief as you. It's a reload mode for Wisconsin's offensive line. Oh, yeah. You have Tyler Biotis at center, who's an All-American candidate, and he's only a redshirt junior. He came back for his fourth year in Madison, you know, but I, I think he's gone after this year personally. I know they're not looking ahead that far, but I think he's a first-round draft pick next year if he continues what he's doing, at least a day one, day two pick. And then you have Cole Van Lannan at left tackle, who could be, who, in my opinion, could be an NFL-capable tackle next year, you know, for next year's draft. And they've been working with, with the guard spots. Joe Rudolph, the former Wisconsin lineman, and but now the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach mentioned a couple weeks back that he believes they have three starting caliber guards. So you're likely to see a rotation in with Caden Miles, a former four-star line prep lineman. You have Jason Erdman and Josh Seltzner, both in-state products from Wisconsin that are also former walk-ons, and many people know about Wisconsin's walk-on legacy. So you know, they've asserted, that, asserted themselves as starting capable you know linemen on the interior so you'll likely see some movement there until to assert themselves as the dominant starters uh at right tackle logan bruff who is a redshirt sophomore he's questionable this week so that's going to be something to watch for for michigan fans he missed the central michigan game but he last season as a you know richard freshman he started in place of the nfl bound david edwards uh, for the last three games of the year. So he locked down right tackle there. And if he can go, it helps solidify the line with, you know, the five starters they're, they're likely to more most comfortable with. But you may see even uh, – I'm writing – actually, right before I got on the phone with you, I, was, I started writing an article about David Mormon, who's a Michigan native for that matter. Mm-hmm. And he committed to Wisconsin. He's a registered senior. But he's extremely versatile. He's been used as a tight end. And you know, with because of the lack of depth at the tight end position, with Jake Ferguson, and then it seems like everybody else has been injured or a true freshman and aren't ready. Uh, so uh, you know, he's asserted himself as a, in the tight end role, but also smoked that right tackle uh, in a platoon uh, with a platoon with redshirt sophomore Tyler Beach against Central Michigan. Uh, but you know he's a name to watch too. He he's got game experience and he's, he knows the the offensive line and what positions. To, you know, assignments, responsibilities. So you know, Wisconsin has about eight, I'd say eight to nine game-ready linemen, and now we'll see what they can do against the Michigan front on Saturday. Here with us on our Visitor's Edition, actually our Michigan Man Extra for the month of September as we get ready for the Big Ten opener in Madison uh, with Wisconsin. No doubt the biggest game in the Big Ten Conference is uh, Jake Kokorowski from BadgersBlitz.com. Jake, a lot of new faces on that defense, but, you know, no points on the scoreboard against them uh, so far this year. And, you know, in this day and age in college football, 
it doesn't really matter who you're playing. If you can put goose eggs up on the board, you're doing something right. Absolutely. And, you know, there really are, there are two redshirt seniors that are, in my opinion, the leaders. We have inside linebacker Chris Orr, who's a fifth-year player, a lot of game experience, but also he's got the NFL pedigree. His father played in the NFL. One of his brothers played in the NFL. You know, football's in his blood and his DNA. You have Zach Bond, an outside linebacker, in-state player, uh, prep recruit commit that has come on in two sacks in two games already, and he, he's helped, sure, you know, work to alleviate some concerns about who's going to actually be you know, rushing the passer and if they can get pressure on quarterbacks in, in 2019. But the rest of the defense, too, it's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say no name, but just not those big names that pop out to you where, you know, last year where it was a, an aberration, in my opinion, uh, from previous years for Wisconsin's defense, but you still had Ryan Conley and, and T.J. Edwards as, you know, their NFL-bound inside linebackers. Yeah. Andrew Van Ginkle had that playmaking ability that you saw in the Big Ten Championship game in 2017 and in the the bowl game against Miami. So, you know, where he made a key interception that turned the tide for the Badgers there. So you don't have those players anymore. And so, but you know, you've seen a lot of youth that was, that had to play. And it wasn't, you know, they, it was just, you know, getting on the field and, and learning to get your feet wet there maybe last season. But now everything's turned up a notch. And the secondary, which was very youthful and had to replace players like Dakota Dixon, a senior but he was injured for part of last season. You saw guys having to step up and in that fashion that now are contributing this year, like Eric Burrell uh, at safety, who I think had a good fall camp and was actually uh, in the two deep as a, as a number two safety, but Scott Nelson's out for the rest of the year. So he's now uh, starting safety uh, for Wisconsin. And But you're seeing these players all step up. And I think, in my opinion, really, it's, Doing their 111s, they preach, you know, especially against run-pass option-based offenses. You have guys that really step up and they assume their roles and they do them well, and they know they're 111s. And they, you know, especially against run-pass options, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, you know, they preach to know their responsibilities. They have to know, you know, what their assignments are, and, and they do them right. And even in Central Michigan, where is a little bit different offense than what they saw against South Florida, and that was that offense for the Bulls was really impressive in terms of uh, Kerwin Bell. You know, they talk about 52 points per game and where he came from in Valdosta State. You know, 500 plus yards per contest, two, and Wisconsin shut them down. And you know, and then what they did against Central Michigan. So, you know, with us, and just how they dominated. You know, 215 total yards in two contests. Just no matter what the competition is, really impressive. And so I think with what they're doing, they don't have the, the flashy names, but they're just playing good assignment football. And they're creating some pressure at key moments, and they're making key plays, and that'll have to continue against Michigan. And as we've been discussing, this is a huge game. It's, it's early in the season, first Big Ten conference game, third game of the season for both Wisconsin and Michigan. Is it too early, Jake, to say that this is a big barometer game for both teams? Absolutely. Hands down, it's, it's a big game for both teams. I know Michigan came in this past season. Yeah, obviously, 
them, you know, with a number seven ranking in the AP polls, a lot to talk about, a new offense with, with Josh, a new scheme with Josh Gaddis and, and the, the skill positions and just uh, even with replacing guys like Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich and Devin Bush that Don Brown would still, you know, work to replicate and likely succeed in, in producing a really talented defense that will give many, many offenses fits uh, throughout the season. And for Wisconsin, it's it's a huge litmus test, really. This is a big test for Wisconsin. Okay, you're 2-0, but again, those were against South Florida and Central Michigan. What are you going to do against a, top, you know, a, a number 11-ranked Wolverine squad that embarrassed you in front? Uh, you know, they went at the big house last year where Wisconsin's offense you know, was 100 yards altogether or or whatnot, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And most 75 of those yards were on the final drive uh, in mop-up time. And so I don't think it's necessarily a revenge game for Wisconsin. Uh, with that, I think it's more just what can this 2019 squad that was not picked by that Big Ten poll that was administered by Cleveland.com. Everyone picked Nebraska because they're going 4-2 and two in the final six games of last year and and not just that, but the cross-divisional schedule where it's more favorable for the Huskers and other programs compared to the Badgers who have to play Michigan, play Michigan State, both at home, but then they have to go to Columbus in late October. Yeah, yeah. So that also plays a fact. So if Wisconsin can win two of the three cross-divisional games, which I think they can, a lot of things have to go right still. But they, you know, they, they, if they can, that sets them up really well in the Big Ten West, where right now you have five or six programs really competing that could go to Indianapolis this year. Now, we all thought that at the beginning of this season, you've seen how Minnesota's been shaky and needed a last-second touchdown to defeat Georgia Southern this past weekend. I watched that um, the end of that game. You know, Nebraska's still you know, still working through things and lost you know, to Colorado on the road, you know, in Purdue, lost to TCU and lost to Nevada. So, you know, those that we thought could possibly be contenders haven't looked sharp so far, but we all know that can change in, in Big Ten play and, and a lot can change throughout the season. So, uh, but for Wisconsin, this is a way for them to really assert, you know, the number 13 ranking or even higher that, hey, this program is back. And, you know, despite the disappointment of being ranked number four to begin the 2018 season, and then drop into to have an 85 record, this could be announced their re-arrival back into the upper echelon of college football. Absolutely. Huge game. One final question for you, Jake, before we let you get away. As I mentioned to you uh, earlier, I had Wisconsin's fine radio play-by-play voice, Matt LaPay, on earlier this week, and we were talking about uh, Coach Christ. I don't know if you saw anything in Madison this week when Jim Harbaugh was talking about him can't say enough good things about Coach Chris. They're friends with the Harbaugh family. The Chris family go back a long way. He really, really respects Coach Chris. And, you know, he's a guy who's been so good at Wisconsin, but doesn't seem to get much love outside of the Big Ten. He is really, really one of the most underrated coaches, in my opinion, in college football. Is that sort of how you feel, too? I do. And I know some people, when he was initially hired, I know when I was at Bucking Fifth which is a part of SB Nation, uh, before I joined Badger Blitz, it, you know, you know, just gauging fans' pulse there. People were worried about recruiting. People were worried, just you know, you know, is, you know, 
they knew he was coming back home, but what would that change? You know, would it go back to the another offense and and just where the state of the program was going? But you see now, and, and you saw what happened in 2016, uh, with you know almost coming winning a Big Ten title in his second year. All, same thing in 2017, where an undefeated regular season and really just one drive and quite possibly one blown penalty away from going to the college football playoff. And yes, last year was, again, it, it, you know, depending on what happens this year, you know, a, a bad year, a down year, it happens within a program. But he, the, the players love him. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's, that's key right there. I think he is a player's coach. He obviously he coaches them up. He'll let them know when they do something wrong. But the players respect him. They love him. And he may seem a little dry during press conferences, but I can guarantee <laughs> he's completely different around players. Uh, they play, you know, they want to play for him. Uh, they can talk to recruits. And you know, part of the thing with Badger Blitz and Rivals, obviously, uh, our bread and butter, not just covering the team, but we cover recruiting. You hear words like family. And it's a family atmosphere at Wisconsin. I'm sure it's like that at other programs too, especially Michigan too. But uh, you hear the word family tossed around a lot, uh, and there's a closeness. And uh, you know, you know, they, one of the things they do uh, during official visits, you know, during the summer, uh, after they show them around Madison and the downtown area and the, the Union Terrace and whatnot, you know, they'll go to Coach Chris's house and you know they're, they're playing you know yard games or. They're talking, and you know it's a it's a family type atmosphere. So, I think he's built that culture here. That you hear smart, tough, dependable is kind of the motto for Wisconsin that they've had since he's arrived. You know, back at UW after his time at Pitt, and then being the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin before that. So, uh, in my opinion, yeah, I agree. I think he's underrated. He doesn't seek the spotlight. He he cares about his players, you know, and he does it really, you know, maybe it's behind the scenes is maybe the best way to put it where, like I said, he's not flashy. You'll see the sweatshirt he'll wear. People, you know, Wisconsin fans will joke about that where, you know, maybe he's not wearing, you know, he wears those sweatshirts or whatnot during games. But he really, you know, in my opinion, he's great at game planning. He's got the direction of the program, on, you know, in a right path. And I think he'll continue to do that as long as he's head coach. Well, uh, we've got the big one coming up uh, 11 a.m. in uh, Central Time on Saturday, of course, noon kickoff on Fox Sports. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, our guest here on our Michigan Man Extra for September has been Jake Kokorowski from BadgerBlitz.com. Jake, it's really been a pleasure having uh, you on the show and talking about Wisconsin football because I'd like to get our listeners a preview of the visitor's perspective, whether it's here in Ann Arbor or if we're visiting uh, somewhere else. So I've enjoyed talking with you, and uh, I hope down the road in the future we can get you back on the show. Hey, anytime you need me, let me know. It's been great talking with you guys. Hopefully those traveling to Michigan enjoy their time in Madison. Uh, be sure to go to some of the microbreweries. Uh, New Glarus is just about 25 minutes southwest of Madison. I cannot recommend it enough uh, for those that like to consume some beer. Uh, <laughs> but just enjoy the atmosphere uh, have fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching uh, two great programs go at it once again. Thanks to Jay Kokorowski from BadgersBlitz.com for just hanging out with me this week and talking some Michigan-Wisconsin football. It was a lot of fun. Next week, we're back home for another noon kick against Rutgers. 
On Tuesday's game day show, my guest will be Anthony Broom from right here at Maze and Brew. Then on Thursday, a return visit from Steve Pulity. He's with the Newark Star-Ledger and covers Rutgers, and hopefully we are 3-0 and by then. So please come back and join us. That will do it for now, though. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Enjoy the game Saturday, and have a great Wolverine weekend, everyone. Until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls, at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!